Welcome to a new episode of Becoming a Post-Growth Planner, Obstacles and Challenges to Changing Roles and Practices. And today in this episode, we move a bit south and we have Angelos with us. Yes, Christian, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be uh, here, like uh, be part of this uh, podcast series that I'm following. Uh, I'm Angelos Varvarousis. I am an urban planner and a senior researcher at Iktawa BEM. I'm also a member of uh, the research collective research in the growth, which is like a major academic association uh, from more or less the beginning of the degrowth scholarship and movement. I am like since 2013 there. And finally, I'm also co-director of uh, the master program degrowth, ecology, economics and policy, which is one of the two um, programs here at the Dolomus University of Barcelona that we are offering uh, relating to degrowth. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm Christian Lamka, uni uh, University of Groningen in the Netherlands, and they are working as Assistant Professor for Sustainable Transformation and Regional Planning. And it's my very pleasure to talk to you today, especially because you have been involved in a special issue in urban studies earlier this year titled Urbanizing Degrowth Towards a Radical Spatial Degrowth Agenda for Our Cities. Uh, can you briefly explain what brought you together as an editorial team of four colleagues? to set up and also to collect for such a special issue that is deeply needed. Yes, the, the, the special issue was published this May, like a few months ago. And, uh, you know, all of us, we have been working on degrowth uh, or on urban planning or the intersections of, of them, like for many years. I mean, we are talking for, for a group with some amazing scholars, with many and different uh, complementary skills. Like for instance, uh, um, Maria Kaika is a very well, is a leading scholar basically in urban political ecology, like one of the people that first highlighted the materiality of urbanization in a way, and the making of urban natures. Uh, or Hugh March, who is an expert in urban sustainability discourses, a critical analyst of, of the smart cities, and he has also worked on degrowth previously. Federico de Maria, who was um, is one of the most more prominent, most cited uh, degrowth scholars, also a co-editor of the Geographies of Degrowth, and myself that I have been working on degrowth since 2008. And I had uh, also written much earlier in 2018 a paper for uh, the Oslo Triennale on degrowth um, called the city, degrowth in the city, in which I tried like perhaps one of the first attempts to lay out the concrete degrowth agenda. So when we came together in 2019 to, to pursue this effort for the special issue, there, there was very little uh, on the intersections of urban studies and, and degrowth. And even less, and I mean, there were some discussions, let's say, but if I may, there were a little bit formalistic in a way, these discussions. So they were discussing mostly what is the better shape for the growth, what is like, if, if there was a discussion between urban planners and the growthers, mainly debating on, on this issue, like urban planners were accusing the growth for being like very simplistic and 
that they are only about um, small scale experiments and they don't deal very soon, which was true. And even less was the, what was written on issues of urbanization. So we started uh, this project with the aim to derail a little bit from this discussion on the urban form or like the, the spatial form that's suitable for degrowth and then there into how we can create transformational process, transformative processes, let's say, for going from today towards the degrowth society. So that was like more or less what inspired this, uh, yeah. this work. Yeah, what I find great that you really set up a five-step agenda towards also connecting urban studies to spatial sciences, particular spatial planning in, um, in the editorial to the special issue. And you also argue for a crucial need to engage with planning institutions and also the professionals working in them, their daily practices. From your impression, why have the links to spatial planning so far still been little explored? Yes, first of all, uh, we must acknowledge that uh, uh, an incipient field and an incipient, let's say, uh, scientific scholarship cannot include everything uh, in its first steps. And we must also acknowledge that nowadays, uh, the degrowth scholarship uh, has advanced a lot in the field of spatial planning, urban planning, um, and what I want to call like more broadly degrowth spatial politics have been developed substantially in the last four or five years. Degrowth started uh, from mainly from the field of development studies and economics. There were very lead, very few geographers, very few urban planners in the, in the original community, let's say. Um, the first discussions on the topic started only in 2015, like the very uh, initial discussions. Of course, you know, the growers, always knew that they need some sort of spatial uh, um, thinking for degrowth. And they were employing, you know, like, let's say, images, let's say the counter image to the polluting city in a way, the counter image of the eco-village or the counter image of like the older Mediterranean city full of conviviality. The degrowth scholarship was always interested and inspired by these small scale experiments and they were trying to analyze them and that was the point of debate basically with the first urban planners uh, that dealt with degrowth in like 2015 uh, Jean Chouet first of all like and then like more urban planners so the main point of discussion the main point of debate was that the degrowth literature is so much about small-scale experiments, small-scale ventures, and, like, um, uh, and they don't pay attention to bigger scales, to like planning institutions that basically shape the space production. That, that was the debate. Yeah, and all these search over the last especially couple of years, the terms degrowth and post-growth are often used together, partly in overlapping ways or in distinction to each other. In your editorial, you also named post-growth or a more distant future, a paradigm, a form of urbanization maybe. But how would you see the connection or differences between degrowth and post-growth as terms? It's important, I think, first of all, to understand that post-growth signifies 
the future in all its plurality, hopefully uh, diversity, sustainability, and this plurality, diversity, and sustainability that should happen by design and not by disaster. Um, but, and I mean, this is how we use the growth. We use the growth in order to signify this plural, diverse, and sustainable future. But it is important at the same moment to understand and to realize and to insist that this future cannot come without phasing out the well-oiled growth machine. And this necessarily entails shrinkage, degrowth, uh, in both quantitative and qualitative terms, which of course is not like a universal homogeneous process to all sectors. Um, because we understand that the problem here is also capitalism. Capitalism is fundamentally undemocratic, which means that <laughs> basically that what will happen with the surplus is decided by very few. Uh, and so, so what we say is that this degrowth planning in more general, not only degrowth urban planning, degrowth planning in more general, is like a, the democratic and organized discussion about what to increase and what to decrease. Uh, and, but knowing, of course, that the overall volume of the production and consumption should reduce somehow. Angelo, with the degrowth debates, there has always been a lot of talk about small-scale alternatives and niche practices, developments that often happen to be completely or more or less distinct from institutional practices of spatial planning, especially at higher scales. Um, and they were also often detached from spatial planning as well. Why is it that important then also that degrowth scholarship especially also tries to connect, to reconnect to spatial planning, to institutional practices, and also aims to understand and to feed into the way how um, basically spatial planners work in their practices uh, very much to the ground at different levels. First of all, I think it's important to acknowledge that um, any nascent literature, any nascent um, discipline or like scientific field uh, cannot start with dealing with everything. So it's true that uh, due to the fact that degrowth uh, started um, from economists, was first developed by economists, ecological economists, environmental economists, um, within the field of development studies, um, let's say perhaps a bit of political science, but there were no geographers or urban planners in the initial cohort of uh, scientists and academics that uh, started to talk about degrowth. And this is why the original, the initial degrowth literature, the first degrowth literature did not deal with uh, planning institutions, with planning mechanisms, because they knew, of course, that any such big and deep and radical transformation needs some sort of spatiality to be expressed and, and, and will be 
um, will produce new, new spatialities, but they didn't have the tools to approach what are what these uh, spatialities should uh, um, should look like or how they can come through. So they resorted, let's say, to what like most of the people resort when they try to think our polluting, urbanized world differently. And this is why they resorted to schemes like urban villages, eco-villages, uh, the Mediterranean city, and so far and so on. Of course, when the degrowth literature comes to AIDS, and then we understand that, that the, the issue of transformation, like the process of transformation, mm -hmm. is much more complicated, much more multi-layered. There was a series of attempts in different scientific fields coming from the field of technology. So we had like in 2018, a specialist on degrowth and technology or marine studies, this so-called blue degrowth. And there was the point like around 2018, 2019, when a new bands of degrowth urban planners or urban planners, degrowthers, you can set on like wherever you want, but started to embrace and try to link uh, degrowth agendas with, with spatial planning agendas. And they try to move beyond, let's say, inspiring uh, examples that somehow exemplify degrowth and try to, to delve deeply into the mechanisms that basically bind spatial production, urban development to growth, and subsequently to try to see how these planning institutions can change, what, how the growth can inform, can inspire like a new approach in, in the planning mechanisms. I think we there touch upon a major problem uh, potentially to integrate more uh, post-growth and degrowth into planning institutions and practices at several scales. Your spatial planning often seeks to uh, find, develop, support positive future directions, which is often only seen as connected to growth that can then be used to finance something else, to do something good with that. While degrowth also puts to clear uh, emergencies you mentioned by design not by disasters so to really avoid disasters to um, um, also put environmental aspects much, much more central this at first does not sound too much attractive to planners who are institutionalized in a pro-growth environment how would you then maybe sell the idea of degrowth to planners who want to build positive futures but also recognize that it's just not possible in the current pro-growth environment? I think this is a very interesting question. And, and it has, I think, two, uh, two different uh, directions to answer. The, the one is to further analyze a little bit of what you are calling like these push factors. Because it is not only about climate emergency, obviously. Uh, there are many push factors for, for, for degrowth and for urban degrowth, for degrowth in, in urban planning. Of course, on the one hand is the climate emergency the, and the ecological collapse, let's say, in more generally speaking, that we must be very frank and, and speak the truth there. 
And on the other hand is that there is this fallacy of green growth agendas, eco-modernist agendas that are failing to uh, bring about uh, ecological and social benefits to the urban populations and the world more generally. So this is also another push factor that we must analyze. Why, for instance, the most innovative uh, regions in, in the field of green growth in Europe remain the most polluting regions in the same area? Or like, why um, a series of uh, green solutions in the urban infrastructure basically is translating into cost shifting towards the global south or like things like this. So there are many pushing factors, let's say, uh, uh, beyond climate emergency. But if we want um, to frame like a, a more positive idea, a, a more positive framing about why degrowth planning uh, can be good for our societies. I think that we can see a city which can become better, of course, through a convivial sharing of the commons and this will also extend beyond its perimeter. Because um, a degrowth city means also less operational landscapes in rural areas means um, less uh, extractive uh, geopolitical conflicts and tensions, means like um, a flourishing of plural forms of, of frugal abundance, full of joy, full of meaning. So, I mean, it leaves a lot of room for, for positive ideas to come up and, and reshape our, our world. Yeah, so there are indeed many positive uh, future, many uh, positive futures, positive avenues to take uh, in that way. Um, but you also recognize that the road remains a bit bumpy to get there with, all, with also developments that are yet to be evaluated. And in your editorial, you also warn from against watered down versions of degrowth. So versions of degrowth that might have the risk of co-optation of a continued greenwashing as we see that the term degrowth and also post-growth becomes more used. There are some tensions involved in how far can it remain its core essence, its core direction. Would you have an advice to both integrate uh, the ideas into decision-making, into spatial planning, institutional activities, but also be aware of the danger that it's not about using the term, but about really changing roles and practices as also our podcast is titled. Yes, I think this like also has uh, two different parts, the question. The first is like uh, why the growth is becoming more a little bit like sort of attractive and how can avoid cooptation. And the second part is like how the growth can, what, what should we do in a way? Uh, so I mean, first of all, I must say that at least for, for me, the uh, growth is becoming attractive, and I think that it will become more attractive in the future 
because it's the only political idea and strategy that is fundamentally realistic, meaning here that it acknowledges all the difficulties, all the problems, all the deadlocks, all the impasses of the current developmental pathway in all its plurality, and yet suggest a positive and radical way out of, of it, out of this misery, out of this catastrophe. And it does it without resorting on um, claustrophobic uh, schemes of uh, nationalism, uh, closeness, uh, etc. So I think this is like a very important dimension of, of the degrowth literature in general that, that makes it fundamentally radical, fundamentally um, like a, a, one of the few, if not the only, progressive pathway uh, towards resolving like uh, our problems here. So for me, and this is the, the very reason that we insist on using degrowth and not post-growth in general, is that we see this, these two dimensions, the positive dimension and the, the, the realistic dimension, I'm not saying negative, the realistic mm -hmm. dimension as being indispensable to degrowth. And, and this is why we are insisting, because I think we think that it is not impossible, but it is difficult for degrowth to be co-opted. Uh, because it goes against like the very foundation of uh, foundational pillar of the society, which is the, which is like the the hunting uh, and oiling the growth machine. Now, what are then the crucial steps to follow up upon uh, and to further ensure that degrowth becomes more more used, institutionalized, and also followed either in research and practice, or might be also in education as well. Yes, I think that what is important to understand degrowth and especially degrowth in planning as a, a very plural, a very multi-layered process um, that involves a different approach to planning. Uh, let's say avoiding universal solutions without, of course, um, ending up in some sort of parochial like relativism, of course. So we need to think in different layers. We cannot reduce the growth, let's say, in a series of uh, planning institutions here and there. We must think uh, uh, the growth as a new strategy for spatial planning and that democratizes planning mechanisms and institutions, embraces plurality by avoiding universalism, fosters autonomy and cooperation across scales and geographies, phases out uh, growth dependency, or works towards sustainable, equitable, and convivial production of space, um, changes the very ideology of the planning uh, mechanism, uh, can be starts from some grounded versions of where we are now, for instance, and this is a, a, a work that we are doing in parallel with this uh, planning uh, research. We're doing a, a research that is called um, 
the real existing degrowth. And we try to start, we try to do some reverse engineering, which means uh, we start to see how people in different geographies have managed historically to secure a satisfactory well-being without being dependent on growth. And from this particular research, and from this particular standpoint, we are trying to see what are the mechanisms that can derail somehow, can the, 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 the oil machine, growth machine in these places and substitute uh, substituted with, with something different, with something like post-growth planning. How can we foster more uh, changes that are compatible with the places that we study? And, and this is also like the north-south uh, uh, dimension that we bring uh, very, uh, as a, it's a very important element in our special issue. This is also like uh, the acknowledgement that there, are, there is not only one south, there are many souths within the north and many <laughs> not so, so south, like within the global south. And we're trying to understand like how all these differences can be articulated uh, in a meaningful way. Yeah, I agree that the degrowth is quite strong and critically assessing also north-south differences um, and also ways of exploitative relationships of um, often unseen relationships also in connection to political ecology and much research that is happening there. Um, but often it's quite challenging to connect that to institutional practices, institutional roles that are taken here. So do you have advice why it's so important to really be open to what both north-south different differences and maybe also the different variants of living without growth that are happening all around the globe? Yeah, first of all, I think it's important to acknowledge that, uh, that there have been related fields to degrowth that have long worked with these global north global south differences from different angles. Let's say the urban political ecology, Maria Kaika and Eric Zwinginau and others have already pointed uh, in these materialities, let's say, of the urbanization of uh, in the global north and the global south and how the one affects the others, even like uh, since 2004, 2005, like the urban political ecology field has long mentioned these things. So environmental justice uh, scholarship uh, has tried to focus on the global south and see how social movements in the global south basically uh, create a new type of environmentalism. That uh, is the, the so-called environmentalism of the poor and how this movement can relate to degrowth, etc. But I think that in the degrowth literature so far, this has not been tackled uh, enough. And I think, again, this has a lot to do with this formalistic understanding of, of, of the degrowth spatiality that, uh, that resorts to a universal idea about the city. So the city is like one universal entity. So the degrowth city is another universal entity. And then 
there are no discussions, but when you focus on urbanization processes instead, then the whole picture changes because then you understand how different uh, factors shape urbanization in the global south and in the global north. And uh, how even, which is also important to understand how a degrowth agenda for cities in the global north can affect cities in the global south, which is also something important. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, all of these things are things, of course, that, that, that need a lot of discussion, a lot more research, but are what we call the elephant in the room. Uh, and, and we try to, to open this discussion in our special issue. What would you say um, are major contributions of that special issue in that regard to give our listeners just a short idea of uh, what angles have been tackled in that special issue? I think that I think you can we can have like one or two core contributions of the special issue as a whole, and then many, many more flagship contributions in each of, uh, of its articles. But I would say one of the most important thing is that we try to reframe the discussion uh, on the basis of urbanization and not on the basis of what is a degrowth city, what is a degrowth spatiality. So we are moving from, let's say, from ontology, the ontology of of let's say degrowth in in spatial planning towards a more processual uh, understanding of these things, and this is why we came up with this idea of the five steps, which means like going from the spatial elements to, towards spatial processes. Uh, so these five steps, I think, I think is like a very good starting point for the discussion to to go ahead, to move ahead. And now, for instance, I'm working with some colleagues on delving deeper into the second step, which is like the planning institutions. What binds uh, planning to growth and how can we reframe this whole process? The second, I think, core contribution, which I think is important, is this uh, uh, particular attention to the global north and global south. And there are also papers in the special issue for instance, Sindler's paper, which says that when we're talking about degrowth planning, degrowth cities in the global south, he frames it as a subordinate degrowth and says like it will have different characteristics than the ones that we are envisaging for the north. Uh, by also pointing out that there are countries that do not easily fit in this uh, polarized dichotomy between the global north and the global south. They work, they work uh, Sindler and Tal, they work for, with, with Argentina, for instance, which is uh, clearly a country that does not easily fit in these categories. Or we have other papers that trying to understand how cities in the global south have been historically shaped uh, by colonial mechanisms, colonial planning mechanisms. And they trying to understand how grassroots actions in the cities basically decolonizing practice um, these uh, this, uh, let's say forceful planning, forceful colonial planning. So I think that the reader can can have numerous 
insights by going through the whole special edition. So there are many great reasons for planners, spatial planners, to read into the special issue, also read the editorial, also see that two of the five steps are engaging planning institutions, engaging also insurgent professionals within planning, let's say, and to support that a bit, uh, you know that this podcast uses the term post-growth planning uh, basically from early on. Therefore, before we finish, as a final summarizing statement, I would like you to contribute to the search for a definition of that within the spatial planning discipline and to finish the sentence post-growth planning is. Okay, I think there are fragments of this, uh, of my understanding of post-growth planning in all our previous discussion. Uh, but I would say that if I, if I want to insist on something, uh, that would be that post-growth planning is a whole new approach to spatial planning that democratizes planning mechanisms and institutions uh, towards a sustainable, equitable, and convivial production of space. Thanks, Angelos, for joining us today in this podcast episode and for sharing all your longstanding international experience on degrowth, institutions, spatial planning, and also giving insights into your most recent special issue in urban studies. Thank you, Christian. It was a pleasure, and uh, I wish you the best for this very, very important podcast series. Thank you.